Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast this morning. I'm joined uh, with Dennis Burns, and we are in Concordia Parish this morning. Uh, Dennis, how are you doing today? I'm good. Good. So what have you been seeing going on uh, yields-wise? We've got harvest going on, and what's what's going on in the parishes? Well, we got, um, we're cutting corn. Uh, we're cutting a little bit of rice. There's some rice being cut in Concordia. I haven't heard what the yields are on it. Corn's being cut in all the parishes, even uh, RL's up in Arkansas somewhere. <laughs> I don't, he's on vacation. He's enjoying his vacation in the mountains. This yeah, he's, he's up there where it's not quite so hot, I think. But <laughs> I know they're cutting corn up there because um, we, we taught, he cut his uh, corn demo plots yesterday or the day before yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, he told me. And um, I'm going to cut the Catahoula one tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that's going on. The yields are good. Mm-hmm. Everybody is being, uh, we kind of thought the yields weren't going to be as, they were going to be average or maybe kind of concerned about what they were going to be with the spring we had, but everybody's pleased with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to a grower yesterday who had some dry land corn on heavy land, and he was ecstatic. He cut 160 bushels, and he was ecstatic over what he cut. Mm-hmm. Um, the most I've heard, I think one field was 230-something. Uh, that was just a field. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of 180s, 190s, a few 200s on some better ground, mm-hmm. some 200s. I think you said uh, Will had cut some 200s. Over yeah, he, the the low end stuff for, that we have that went underwater quite a bit didn't do didn't do as well. But the sandy ground seems to be doing a lot yeah. better. So and it's, so it's in the um, so corn is corn. I think is is going to overall it'll be maybe. It's going to be, a little, I think, maybe be a little better than average, mm-hmm. what we think is average. So it's, it's a good, it's turning out well. Uh, we, you give us two weeks, pretty much everybody's cutting corn. I know the elevator, it's a two-hour wait at Waterproof to get dumped. Uh, and that's, which is great because three <laughs> weeks ago, you couldn't even get to the elevator. I was about to say, when did it come out of water? <laughs> you know, so, and they are loading barges at Waterproof. Uh, I know they've loaded two barges. So they're loading barges, and that's great. Yeah. So soybeans, uh, the two field, two producers I've talked to that were cutting soybeans, one in Concordia, one in Tinsel, both of them were cutting in the 70s. And they were just thrilled with that. Uh, you know, we'll just see the beans, the cotton, cotton's, it looks good. It's been, I guess you could say, somewhat of a light year for bugs from what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been any real heartbreaks or we can't kill them, all that. Uh, yeah, the cotton that, that I've noticed is looks really good this year. So um. yeah. Probably the only thing, and I'm going to throw this out there because we don't have a lot of pecan growers, but everybody's got a pecan tree. Right. And uh, I talked to one grower this morning in Concordia Parish, and scab, we have resistant scab. It started in Madison Parish about three or four years ago, and uh, he's in Concordia in South Tensile, and he says it's he's fighting it. It's, it's bad with all the rain and everything. Um, you know, we think of pecan orchards that are out there, and you see the sprayers go through, and you don't think a whole lot about it. But they actually have resistance problems, and it is it's pretty, it can be pretty bad and pretty devastating. And just think of you as a, you know, like Will, as a regular row crop grower, 
what he fights with, like cyscospers. And mm -hmm. soybeans is resistant. Well, scab is resistant, and they're rotating chemistries. It's getting expensive. Uh, they're having to spray more. Uh, I know one grower in Tensile, he's on his sprayers, and in some of the orchards where he's got it really bad, he sprays as much as 100 gallons of water per acre. You know, the big, the big air blowers that they use on the pecan trees. Uh, normally, they'll spray like 50 gallons or something. He's spraying up to 100 gallons. Wow. To get to get coverage, and it's uh, it's a serious issue, and uh, one we're going to have to they're dealing with as you know as we go. And the the rainy weather this spring didn't help. Didn't help much for yeah, anybody. For anybody. <laughs> so um, so that's I think that's pretty much is that that's pretty much what you've been hearing. Yeah, uh, and just to add to the lines of the elevator, Bungie hasn't been that too you know too stacked up here, but. I mean, we've been getting trucks back pretty quick, um, but yeah, everybody around here, if you've got corn, you're in the field, you're, you're trying to get it out, so yeah. haven't heard any rice yields yet. No, hopefully, uh, I know there'll be some rice cutting tensile uh, either Friday or Saturday. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll know a little more then. I, like I said, I've heard they're cutting down, uh, down in Monterey. Somebody had started the other day. Uh, I talked to a rice grower this morning in Concordia, just south of the day here on the river, mm -hmm. and he said they were thinking next week. Uh, so it's it's getting time. Um, I know another grower in Fairy. He was trying to let's see. He was cutting corn. He had a, some beans to cut, and mm -hmm. then he was going to cut rice. Yeah. So he was he had they had sprayed some beans. Uh, in fact, it's where we, it's the grower we did the. Uh, the video, our video, yeah, that we did on that you and you and Dr. Boyd Padgett were out in the soybean field looking at harvest aid on soybeans. Uh, we so y'all, we did the video. It's up. Uh, y'all have to understand. <laughs> we're learning about all this, doing videos and like this podcast. We we learn all the time. Well, the videos is it's kind of a steep learning curve. We did bill bugs a couple weeks ago in in the row rice. Um, we changed a couple things on for this one for the uh, harvest aid and soybeans, but um, we're still learning. So y'all be patient with us. <laughs> but if and if anybody has an idea that you need something, we're trying to look at things ahead of time so you get an idea. So, but anyway, check out our videos. So, yeah, and if you want to see those, they're on our Twitter page. So yeah, we try to put them on Twitter too, a link to them, and we need to we got to work on this week's a little bit. It's kind of we. Our editing is not the best in the world. Yeah, we need to go back to school and learn how yeah, to do it. We need somebody in communications, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, our, our, we're trying to learn the software, and, and you know, we, we sometimes we're slow learners. we got a lot to learn. <laughs> so, but now, that being said, I know you got a real good interview coming up for us. Who are you going to talk to today? Uh, this morning, I'm going to visit with Dr. Mike Strain, the commissioner of ag. And uh, right. I, So if you stay tuned, we'll, uh, we'll get started with that. All right, welcome, uh, Commissioner Mike Strain. We appreciate you joining us here today um, over the phone. Um, let's get started with hemp. Uh, what can you tell us about what's going on with the regulations that we've got coming with uh, the hemp? Well, when the law was passed and became effective on July 1, uh, within a week of the legislature going out of session, uh, we filed a presumptive and preliminary plan, and we sent that to the governor and the attorney general's office for their consultation and input. So we started off with a basic plan, similar to what other states have submit, or submitted
USDA, uh, we've received word back and are working with uh, the Attorney General's office and the governor, and that's what's required under federal law and also under state law. Uh, we are now also working with the governor's office and the Attorney General's office and the legislature as we are developing rules that will be a part of the plan. Now, we are anticipating and waiting on the USDA to publish their rules. So we have the Farm Bill, which is, which is broad, but we're waiting on the rules to be published uh, because our rules and our plan, uh, we may have to modify and amend it to fit within the boundaries of the federal rules, which was, is federal law. Mm-hmm. Also, we've been told by the federal government that to hold our plan and, and our rules, which would be part of the plan, until they have published their rules. Once they publish their rules, uh, we are going to immediately submit our plan to them, and they will have 60 days to accept or to reject and send it back. And so currently, uh, we do anticipate that we will probably uh, go before the House and Senate Ag Committees for their approval of the plan and the rules prior to submission uh, to the USDA. Now, we do believe the USDA rules will become in effect and become actual law late in the fall or early in the spring. And so we anticipate being able to be in business in the spring of 2020 if everything goes well. We're also working, uh, we're looking at different companies and developing methodologies to approve the importation of seed, hemp seed, into Louisiana. And we're going to require that it have uh, the documentation where it, it has been approved by some uh, some seed analysis body that we will accept, and it can all, you know we would hope that most of that will be approved by the states. Mm-hmm. There aren't any certified seed yet because certification of seed, as you know, takes quite a while. You have to grow it out to make sure that it's genetically identical, etc. But we're going to work hard to make sure that the seed that our farmers get is good seed, that it has proper germination, it meets all the standards we have for any other seed, plus to make sure it is hemp seed and that the seed will grow plants that will have less than 0.3% THC. So all of that is motion, in motion, and everyone is working very hard to have this as a viable entity in the spring. We're also uh, discussing uh, with potential processors because we have to have a way to process the crop and then get it to market. And so if you look at hemp, hemp is under a number of different jurisdictions. We regulate the cultivation Department of Health and Hospitals regulates the processing, and alcohol tobacco regulates the sale of CBD-type products. Now, uh, industrial products uh, would not be under uh, the alcohol tobacco. Uh, that would be, we would have a methodology through the department where we will basically uh, keep track of and license it going to a, an industrial facility that's used for fiber and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there will be some educational seminars out, and, of course, the Ag Center is going to be uh, very involved in that as well to, to give an outline and to try to help our farmers to raise this crop because this crop is somewhat complicated. Uh, you can have different results from the same seeds depending on how you raise it. For instance, you know, if you want to raise seeds, then you have to have male plants. If you want to raise CBD, you only want female plants. A few male plants can make the whole crop go to seed. Different stressors can result in a female plant becoming hermaphroditic and being male-female, producing pollen that could cause damage to the other seed, to the other plants, making them go to seed versus the CBD. And so we have to understand all of those factors.
factors and different methodologies for raising the plant can result in different chemical makeup of the final product. And so you know, this is a very unique plant. There are more than 400 compounds in the hemp plant, more than 60 different CBDs. And so we're working very hard and we're going to be working with our farmers to make sure that they have all the information that they can get uh, when they go into this business. Okay. Well, um, you know, being a county agent and, and we get a lot of questions about hemp and, you know, what's coming up. One of the questions that we've gotten is um, from people with small acreage. Is there a size restriction that no restriction. to be registered as a grower? or Absolutely. No size restrictions. Uh, you're going to have to be a bona fide agricultural grower uh, because there is going to be a licensing requirement. I think it's a $500 license. You're going to have to pass a background check by state police. And so it's, not, it's not very involved, but you cannot have any drug-related felonies within 10 years. Uh, and then we'll also have to have the longitude, latitude, and size of your acreage. Mm-hmm. And so, but there's going to be no restrictions. Uh, everybody will be, be allowed to participate if they meet those basic parameters. Okay. Um, well, let's move on into the the uh, the rice checkoff action lawsuit. Um, what where are we at with that, and what are we encouraging our producers to do about? Well, with the with the rice checkoff lawsuit, this goes back to a court challenge on the nature of referendum assessments, and there was an opinion handed down by the Supreme Court of Louisiana on October fifteenth, twenty thirteen. And what the Supreme Court said at the time is that the legislature was an error when they passed the original legislation uh, that basically delegated delegated authority of the legislature to a subset of citizens to hold a referendum by which then they would impose a, a fee, basically an assessment. Mm-hmm. And the statutes uh, go back, you know, many, many years. And, of course, there was a second set of statutes in the second referendum that it goes back to 1992, but many of the different um, referendums for assessments, many of those bills went back 45 and 50 years, so a very long time. And so when you, you look at what the legislature said is that, you know, referendum assessments are, quote, invalid. We changed the law the following year, and that would be Act 345 in 2014, to set up where you had a voluntary uh, assessment, meaning that we collect the assessment, and it was, uh, you know, so much for for research and so much uh, for uh, for promotion. And I think it was five cents for research and, and mm-hmm. three cents again uh, when you look at you know for promotion. So so much for research and so much promotion. But you could opt to get your money back, and so all you had to do is fill out a form. And we would send your money back if you did not want to voluntarily participate in the assessments. We did that for all the commodities. So we had to go back legislatively and change the language for all of the commodities uh, to where uh, it was, quote, voluntary. And so, so overall, you know, when you look at what we, what we did now, what the, what the lawsuits wanted was to go back you know, since its inception, and say, okay, I've paid this money in for research and promotion. Now I want my money back, and I want my money back pre-2014 when, you know, we changed the law to where it was voluntary. Now, in the particular case of these assessments, at the time it was passed by the legislature, it was deemed constitutional, so the court said it was not constitutional. Mm -hmm. However,
However, everyone benefited. So the research money went to research, you know, like the Rice Research Station at LSU and others that developed new varieties and have done all the research. And then promotion was to promote everybody's rice. And so, but, so the suit is against the department and against the, the rice boards, but the money was all spent on research and promotion, which everyone benefited. And so now there's a, a judgment, there's a class action lawsuit, and you know what we're asking people, opt out. Because again, your money has been spent, and it's been spent in order to benefit the rice industry, and any monies received will now negatively impact the rice industry. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, you know I've, I've, I have fought this since day one, because again, the Department of Agriculture, what we do, we just collect the money and send it on to the rice boards. But we're being sued for the amount, and it's been different amounts, and going back again, uh, and, you know, these, these boards were instituted and set up initially in 1972, right? So think how many years ago that's been. I mean, so, again, we're asking everybody, take a hard look at this, because, again, any of these any judgments will come and, and negatively affect the rice industry. It's time to put this to bed. You know, we changed the law in 2014 after the courts in 2013 said that the legislature improperly delegated their responsibility, the legislature's responsibility, to impose an assessment. And so that the referendum was what was invalid. And then so we changed the law to where we have a mandatory collection, but a voluntary, voluntarily you can get your money back. And so, and that's kind of the gist of it. Well, um, well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, if anybody is wanting to opt out, what do they need to do? do you, or do you know that to opt yes, out? There, well, there is a form that you can fill out. You can actually go uh to the, I think, the Daily Voice, and there is a, a form that you can get that you sign the form to opt out. Okay. And so, you know, there's, there's the form that is available. I'm sure you can go to the Farm Bureau website and get that form. I think that is where I saw, I saw it myself, yeah. That's right. And mm-hmm. so you can opt out, uh, you know, and so that's what we're urging everybody. All right, Dr. Strain, do you know if there is a date or a deadline that they need to sign that form by? Yes, and you have to send an opt-out letter, letter to the Rice Class Council by August 26, 2019. And that is the Rice Class Opt-Out, P.O. Box 2007, Johannesen, C-H-A-N-H-A-S-S-E-N, Minnesota, 55317-2007. Okay. All right, well, um, let's move on. I got an email this week about the pesticide disposal program. Um, and I know the Ag Center is going to be kind of involved in in helping mitigate that and doing some things. Um, I'm actually kind of excited about this program because we get questions, you know, all the time about, you know, what can I do with my leftover pesticides? Um, where are we at with that and what, what do we need to be doing? On June the 18th, we signed a contract with Pollution Control, Inc., and we're working on, uh, I think we have our MOU ready to go with the LSU Cooperative Extension uh, for their assistance in inventory the unwanted product. So we're going to inventory the product, determine the volumes by geographic areas. Once we have an idea of the products, then we will establish pickup locations. Priority will be given to areas with the greatest volumes to maximize efficiency, 
And then uh, we, once a contractor finishes a site, another site's going to be chosen, we will resume. The funds run out. We have saved and put together $300,000 for this. So it's a tremendous cooperative effort uh, working with uh, Department of Ag and Forestry, LSU Cooperative Extension Service. Uh, we'll be working with DEQ, of course, and all the different entities to, to make this happen. And so we want to pick up, if you look at back in 1996, we were able to collect 100 tons of material, right? And so initially, we started off looking at 100 tons. We ended up picking up 200 tons. And so, you know, we, we, you know, we try to put dollars together to do this, but you think we're probably going to have between 100 and 200 tons, so it's going to be pretty extensive. But it's good to get these excess and, and uh, pesticides and get them out of the environment, safely picked up, and properly disposed of. Yeah, well, I look forward to seeing that come to light, too, and I know a lot of people do. We're excited about it. I am. We're working on, but, our, you know, our big challenge in the last few years is just to try to find money to do that. Oh, yeah. And so we've had to save money through, you know, our, our department because, you know, you know, really it, we would hope that the legislature would fund this yearly, but they have not. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do is we have to find money and save it, put it together, and then do this particular program. Okay. Well, um, and that's the, those are the main topics that I really wanted to cover this morning, but um, our listeners are from the Northeast region. If you've got anything, you have the floor that you want to add or talk Thank about you. with markets or well, whatever I you want to talk about. Well, I think the thing we need to talk about is that we've identified 11 cases of eastern encephalitis and one case of West Nile uh, in horses in the last few weeks across the state. So with the high temperatures and all the rainfall, and, you know, there's a growing concern that we're going to have uh, an, an outbreak, you know, or and this is the largest that we've had in years, the largest number of cases. Now, you know, bear in mind, horses don't get sick generally unless they're not vaccinated. However, people don't get vaccinated. And, you know, traditionally we have seen cases in and along, you know, the Washita area and along our river basins uh, of encephalitis in animals and in people. So we're telling everyone, please be very cognizant, you know, try to stay out of the areas where they have mosquitoes at dawn and at dusk. If you're going out at dawn and dusk, uh, you know, wear a long sleeve shirt, wear a hat, use a mosquito repellent with D-E-E-T, DEET in it. Mm -hmm. Also, look around the farm, look around the shop, you know, make sure that, that your flat boat doesn't, isn't holding water, you don't have any old tires, you don't have any flower pots. You know, make sure that wheelbarrow, and I'm bad about leaving my <laughs> wheelbarrow where it catches water. You know, turn that wheelbarrow up and lean it up against the shed, because most mosquitoes that bite you live within a few blocks of where you are bitten. And so, you know, West Nile can be very bad. Eastern encephalitis in people, you know, it's called sleeping sickness, these encephalitis, uh, because, and that's the name it gets in people. You know, and it is, you know, in horses, it's generally 100% fatal uh, when they get sick. Uh, people... Of course, if they get the, the neurological syndrome, it's really bad. So, again, you know, we have to be very careful. We have to support all of our, you know, utilizers and sprayers for mosquito control. But please exercise some caution. Also, with this heat, please be careful out in the heat. You know, we've seen the heat index at 113, 115 degrees have days where the actual heat on the thermometer, you know, is over 101, 102. So we need to be careful with that. We're cutting corn and harvesting rice. Mm -hmm. uh, we are anxiously hoping that we're going to have a great harvest. Uh, the weather seems to be participating so far. Uh, hope we, we really need a really solid, strong bean harvest and corn harvest 
uh, as well, and we're excited about you know our, our rice harvest is moving well. And then, of course, we'll be watching what's going on with cotton. So we're in a good place. Uh, we've been working a lot with our ports and discussing how we can get that pro- those products to market quicker, more efficiently, and at the end of the day, put more money in the pockets of the farmers. Well, that's uh, all I have to cover today. And again, I appreciate you taking your time to to join us and and let our listeners know what's what's going on in the state. And uh, anytime you're you want to be on our podcast, you're always invited. Absolutely. <laughs> well, talk to Miss Veronica. You know, our public information officer, and head of the our public information uh, division, and uh, I'm always ready to talk to you. And remember, it's an absolutely great day. Louisiana agriculture, forestry, and aquaculture. Yes, sir. Well, uh, I, I just want to also tell you, too, thank you for everything you do for us in the state. And I was really impressed with your CNN interview. Uh, uh, you that was re- fun. You, that, that was, uh, you represented us well, and it was enjoyable to watch. So Thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, thank Take you. Care. You too. Right, bye-bye. All right, Kylie, that was hey, Dr. Strange. He's always a good interview. Oh, I always enjoy getting to listen to him talk. He's a lot of fun. Well, good. Well, that that was good. He had some good information, and uh, you know, like I say, he's al- he's always good to talk to. <laughs> um, well, let's get started with the question of the day. Um, the question of the day is: Well, dove season is coming. We're ha- we have that coming up in the next month, and you know, the question that we get is: What is baiting doves? Um, if you have sunflowers planted, what can you do with them? Um, just what are the rules with dove hunting and, and baiting fields and manipulating? agricultural land okay you can grow a crop you can grow sunflowers you can grow brown top millet you can go out with find a weed patch it's got smart weed barnyard grass some of the wild millets in it and here is here is the deal with with doves you can as long as it's a crop grown in the field you can manipulate you can go out there and bush hog it down uh, normally, like for the sunflower fields that I've worked with in the past, and uh, we've gone out like starting now, or actually a week or so ago, you start mowing strips in them and get mm-hmm. the birds coming, and you keep mowing them as up until time for season. You leave some out there standing to hide in, of course, but uh, you just start mowing them down, getting them down on the ground. Doves like clean ground. They don't like a lot of grass. They like clean ground. So you have to, you'll, if you had a field that you grew for a crop, you need to treat it like a crop and make sure it's got good weed control and all that where it's, it's good and you just start mowing it. And now you cannot, baiting is when you go and you go buy some wheat seed and you start going out there and throwing it out and that supplementing or sunflower seed and you start supplementing. That's that baiting. is illegal. That's, that is illegal. That's baiting. And, but if you grow a crop, you can actually grow a crop for doves and manipulate it to put the seed on the ground. Now, let me say this, because people also grow crops for, du- for ducks. If you grow a crop for ducks, you cannot manipulate it. It has to be a left as a standing crop. Mm-hmm. So make sure you keep track of your regulations. Check with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Louisiana Department of Wildlife Fisheries, Make sure if there's any question, call a game warden, get them to come out and look beforehand. That's right. Uh, don't be caught off guard. Yeah, and, and to reiterate, the rules for ducks and doves are two different sets of rules. Two different things, and make sure you're following the right set. <laughs> we don't want to be in trouble for something that we could have avoided. Yes. 
Well, I think that's all we have for today. Um, to close, I just want to invite everybody to come subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, tell us how we're doing. If you've got anything you want to add or want us to talk about, let us know. Shoot us an email or, or comment under comment under our uh, reviews. Um, also, please follow our Twitter account. That's at Louisiana Delta Crop. That's where we post uh, what we're doing every day and how you can follow along with us. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.